Are you struggling to hire diverse tech talent? After all, every organization in the world is now a tech company. And the ability to attract, hire, and retain tech talent from all backgrounds is critical to their success. Enter Hackajob, a reverse marketplace that actively vets engineers. We flip the traditional model on its head, meaning companies apply to engineers versus candidates applying to jobs. With companies getting an 85% response rate to candidates they reach out to, as well as exposure to tech talent that directly meets their organization's diversity objectives. Companies such as S&P Global, CarMax, and Sensor Tower are all using Hackajob. Why not join them? Go to hackajob.com slash cheese to get your free 30-day trial today. Go to hackajob.com slash cheese to get your free 30-day trial today. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? It's your favorite guilty pleasure, the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman, flying solo today as my co-host, Chad Sowash, builds his European real estate empire. But I, I'm not worried. I, I'm, I'm joined, graciously joined, by Ali Kelly, Chief Marketing Officer of Employ Inc. If you don't know Employ Inc., don't worry. Uh, you may know them uh, as the parent company of companies like Jobvite, Jazz HR, Next Thing I, I, RPO, companies that you're you're familiar with. Employee is a fairly new thing, which we'll get into. But Allie, welcome to uh, the Chad and Cheese podcast, Sans the Chad. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to be be here, and I love that you feel graced by my presence. Uh, you're you're generous with your time, and uh, <laughs> I understand you are you're in state. You're in Indiana today. Uh, so I, I feel like you're you're right in my uh, you know backyard talking over a beer. But uh, give the listeners a little bit about you. I know that we've chatted on the podcast before, but uh, you know people miss episodes. So give us a little Twitter bio on you, and then we'll get into uh, uh, sort of employ and what's going on. And a, a survey that you guys have recently done that has some interesting information. But tell us about Ali Kelly. Yes. So I've actually I'm not by career uh, like in the TA or recruiting world, this is just sort of my... You are now, Allie, because once you're in, you don't leave. It's like the mob. Yeah. yeah. It's been like six and a half years, I think, Pete and I. But yeah, I mean, it was it was all new to me, uh, the space. So it's really, it's, it's been super fun to learn. Um, and it's, it is a wild space relative to some of the industries that I've I've been in so it's uh it's been really fun um and as cmo of employee i oversee marketing and go to market and all that really fun the fun stuff of business like the really fun stuff of business um for our brand so the employee brand mm -hmm. jazz hr job fight next thing and uh any more that that may join the family so you, you hail from boston and i i have to know are you a celtics fan so I am a Seas fan. However, I share my love between the Seas and Jazz because uh, I lived in in Utah for quite a while, and okay. and uh, and frankly, like you can get great seats to see the Utah Jazz play really <laughs> expensively. So uh, and there's never a beer line, which is even better. So like 
you know, I have a, a really great appreciation for the Utah Jazz. Well, I bring it up because the sweep of the Nets, I assume you you caught wind of oh, from yeah. last night. So that was a big, I thought I'd, I'd throw that out as a sports reference. Let's get back to business. I, I was sharing with you in the green room that uh, the the acquisition, the Jobite Jazz HR next thing, RPO thing, went down about a year ago. Listeners can go back in the archives and, and hear what we had to say about that. But you mentioned the rebrand to employ just briefly talk about the rebrand and how that's going and how the companies are sort of integrating, uh, I guess, a state of the company real quick. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's a really exciting time. It's an exciting company, right? Um, and it, it's been, so yeah, it's been almost exactly a year. Um, and it's funny. Sometimes I feel like we've been doing this forever and other days it feels all so new and, and quick. Mm -hmm. Um, but we launched, you know, we've launched the employee brand, which I think has been, you know, I'm still waiting for somebody to tell me it sucks, <laughs> frankly, like <laughs> we come up with a better name than employee. Uh, but it's a little vanilla, but I think it, it, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like it's working, but like, I was really hoping for like a little bit more debate around it, but it just, seems like it's perceptions going really well and and all of our analysis tells us everything's in the right direction and numbers don't lie as i like to say revenue cures all ills so uh <laughs> it has absolutely been going in the right direction and we are seeing really exciting numbers uh we actually just had our board meeting last week and so growth in all areas of the business. Um, but part of the most exciting thing, and I think you guys have touched on this before, is really mm -hmm. the nature of being able to maintain separate brands for the segments, but also really drive revenue through the brands, right? So Jesse Jar is a wonderful lead engine for Jobvite. And, you know, and, and even with Next Thing, we're finding a lot of cross sales are coming in from both of the, the other brands there. And it's all just, it's really working out uh, way better than I think. Of course, we planned it to work out, right? But Of course. I don't know if you always expect it to go as planned. So, um, yeah, we're really thrilled with the way things are going. Uh, as everyone has been challenged with hiring over the past, you know, six months, we, we were in no different, but we're, we're pretty well ramped up at this time and mm -hmm. filling out the team and doing great things. It sounds like a round peg in a round hole, which maybe makes too much sense, which is probably the problem with uh, with with a lot of these things. But let's get into why you're actually here. Uh, I don't have a drum roll, but if I did, I would play the drum roll and I would announce the 2022 Job Seeker Nation Report, yes. which is what you guys have recently. So tell us about the report. Uh, how long have you been doing it? Uh, how many people are you, you know, surveying? What kind of demographics are you targeting? Just give us a, let's set the plate here before we get into the numbers. We have been, this is our 13th year doing this, if, uh, if you can believe it, which is, is pretty wild. Um, so 13th annual report. And we, uh, this report, we used about 1,500, a little bit more than 1,500 individuals. Mm -hmm. um, and some, you know, I think some really interesting findings this year, probably more so than in years past, just because of the shifting dynamics and a lot going on. Yeah, in the world, really. Yeah. So are these all U.S.-based? Is this sort of a, a global audience? Any specific skill sets that you were looking to target? So North America, you know, North America, we really try and get um, a range of jobs and, and make sure that it's sort of statistically relevant to the overall market and what that looks like. Adults, right? So 18 
18 and up is really what it is. And again, we do try and make it statistically relevant to the demographics of, sure. of the labor market right now. So that's that it's pretty accurate. And were these all people in Jobvite slash next uh, Jazz HR? No. No. Okay. So talk <laughs> about that. No. So yeah, we do. We work with a third party, Zogby Analytics. They're they're fantastic, and they do um, a really good job actually of separating any sort of bias that we you know when we sort of put these things together and, and we're mm-hmm. brainstorming like how we want to think about it this year and what we want to understand. They're really great at at sort of extracting the bias that we come to, you know, to those meetings with and, and the way that we're thinking about it. So, you know, I think that ultimately does provide some really fun, really interesting statistics that we didn't necessarily expect or think about. It is a point in time. So it's not like we're trending this data and looking at it, you know, in the context of what's happening in the market this week. But, um, you know, I think on the whole, it, it certainly resonates in the market and it's, uh, it is helpful data. So there are, there are about three or four themes that I want to just sort of, uh, talk about that you guys, uh, surveyed, obviously the, it goes into much greater detail on other things, but I want to touch first on the great resignation, which is, you know, every, every night on the news, it's a conversation, uh, it's a topic 60 minutes, everyone's covering this. So the great resignation, what did you guys find out in regards to, you know, why are people leaving? Are they leaving? Why are they quitting? What's going on with the great resignation from what you found out in the survey? Yeah, so I, I think there's a few different things going on. Um, more than anything else, right, there are some industries where people are actively seeking new jobs, right? So frontline workers, right? There's a, a mass exodus um, out of the medical field, out of a lot of those frontline jobs yeah. in the con, you know, and, and that makes sense in, in the context of COVID. Now, um, I think regardless of the reasoning behind it, that has trickled through and had some larger implications downstream in other industries. And when you look at sort of where that leaves us, it is absolutely um, something that people are reevaluate. Like, their jobs in general, they're reevaluating regardless of industry. So um, compensation is always going to be a big driver, right? And and further growth opportunities. But I think more than anything, and I think the data shows this not not to a high degree, but it does show that I think people are reassessing what's important to them in life and and how they think about their work-life balance and what matters to them. And I think it varies not just by industry, but like person to person. So uh, I think people, you know, it's sort of just provided a unique time in our world to like reassess what what matters to us in life. And yeah, working isn't always it. (laughs) Some of the numbers you highlighted, one of them did not surprise me, which was 45% are actively looking for a new job. Um, my guess is that number is probably pretty fr- pretty consistent throughout the 13 years that you've been doing this. A couple numbers that, that were highlighted for me, or, or, or I wouldn't say shocked, but got my attention was, you know, 32% would quit a job without having another one lined up. Yep. Um, and 30% have left a job within the first 90 days of starting. Now, my initial thought was, that's a gig economy thing. That's a... I have options that I didn't have before. I can go drive an Uber. I can deliver food. I can, you know, I can get on OnlyFans, you know, if you have the uh, the certain skill sets. Like, <laughs> oh, can you? <laughs> well, I could, but I'm not sure I could retire on that. Um, it, do you get the same sense that the gig economy is is driving that? Is it 
I don't know, is it government fund? Like when you saw that number, were you surprised? And, and what would you attribute that to? 32% would quit without having anything lined up. Yes. And actually that is, so I went home the first time I read that statistic, I went home to my husband and I'm joining only fans. No, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. I was like, I, I can't believe people do this. Like this, this is wild to me. Right. Cause I would, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's an age that I'm like, you know, I'm certainly younger in my mind than I am in reality, but like, sure. maybe it's a generational thing. Um, I actually, I think there's a few things going on and there's, there's a difference between the people who would leave without something lined up from their current role versus the 90 day thing, right? I, I see them as two different sort of situations. Okay. People choosing to leave because without something lined up, I think is what we we're talking about before, right? They've reassessed what's important to them and what matters. And frankly, they know that there's one point, I mean, they might not know the statistics, but right now, I think the Fed said there was 1.8 jobs, open jobs for every available worker, um, which is crazy, right? So it is clearly a candidate market. um, And they're probably very confident that they can get another role that will meet their needs, whatever they are, whether it's compensation or flexibility or work-life balance or certain types of benefits, like different type of work, right? Maybe they want something more exciting. So I think that level of confidence is the single biggest takeaway of the, like, in the entire report, to me, the level of of employee confidence or worker confidence is just, it's crazy. It's something that I don't think we've ever seen before. Yeah. Um, even in candidate-driven market, it's not like this is the first time we've been in a candidate-driven market, but we've never been in it at this level. And where we're seeing people more willing to negotiate, right? And that's up by, I think, 18% over the past couple of years, which is, which is a significant jump, right? And so people are willing to negotiate salaries that weren't previously, and not just salaries, but their, their overall compensation package and how they're working. They're, they're negotiating a lot of other factors. Um, I also think that they don't necessarily feel as invested in companies if they're staying for shorter periods of time. And that's a trend that we've been seeing sort of on the upswing with the younger generation on the whole, the numbers actually really haven't changed over the past 30 years. And I only know that because I didn't think that was the case and uh, tried to prove somebody that it, that it was and found out I was wrong. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's also pretty interesting. So like the lo- longevity that people are staying with companies is actually for the past 30 years, pretty, pretty minimal change there. Um, with regard to the 90 days, I actually think this is more closely tied to the ghosting situation um, in sort of a weird way that yeah. then like the 32% that will leave for whatever reason without something lined up, right? I think if people are starting a job and leaving within 90 days, mm-hmm. I think that is a failure of the employer to appropriately onboard and engage that employee. And in the same way, you know, people think of ghosting as I never, ever talk to you again. You know, like I texted you, you didn't text me back kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas I think there's a lot of forms or like levels of ghosting where it's, a you know, it's ultimately, it's a lack of engagement and a, and a lack of communication. And I think that that's what people are looking for in their jobs now. And they want, they want to feel that engagement, right? And, and I think we're doing a really poor job onboarding employees in some cases. And it's a massive opportunity for, I think, the industry as a whole to really sort of up-level 
what we're doing and how we think about it. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions? And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways. TextKernel brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. TextKernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. TextKernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey, kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data. I mean, that that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener, get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mm, nachos. <laughs> I guess the good news in the great resignation is it's not all bad news. Uh, from your survey, 62% said that they're satisfied with their jobs, which is a majority. Uh, my math isn't great, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's more than 50%. So it's not all horrible news. A lot of people do enjoy their jobs. So there are some companies doing it correctly. Um, what's driving the activity uh, in terms of this resignation, however, uh, surprised me a little bit, but maybe not. Uh, it's all about the Benjamins, apparently. Talk about uh, money's impact on people staying or leaving at their current jobs. Yes. Well, you know, money talks, I think, as we all know, and in a candidate driven market, I mean, the, the, the increase in wages is, I mean, it's material and it's in every industry. And I think that people see that, and, you know, and this was this was all taken prior to the inflation rates that we're seeing now. So that is something to consider when we're looking at this data, whereas it's I think it was 7.9% a few, uh, that was a couple of weeks ago or maybe three weeks ago. So it's probably been updated since, but you know, inflation is still outpacing yeah. wage growth. And, you know, the reality is there is this perception of how much you're making is worth, you know, how much it's actually worth in terms of true value of the dollar and what you can get with that. And if someone else is going to pay you more money, it's, you know, especially if it's substantially more money, you know, it's hard. I think it's hard for people not to leave, which, you know, that's <laughs> that's why we work. Sure. Like, let's be honest. It's why we all have jobs. Sure. So 37 percent in your surveys said they believe they are only 30 percent believe they are paid fairly uh, by their employer. Now, there may be some corresponding uh, evidence that the 62 percent that are satisfied are getting paid well enough. And the ones that aren't are the 37% uh, that aren't being paid 
paid fairly. And I, as, as you noted, insurance or inflation numbers at, I think, eight and a half percent last I heard, um, that number may go up in your next survey because a lot of people with inflation will feel like they're not being paid fairly. One of the things that I, uh, I noticed in sort of what's driving the, the resignation numbers was, was money. I expected the desire to work remotely to be a lot higher than it was. So based on your numbers, only 16% prefer remote work. Did that surprise you? Um, was it a thing of timing with the report? What's your takeaway on sort of the low number for remote work in terms of what what people wanted? So, yeah. Uh, so the reality of this is what this question asked was the top reason okay. for leaving in, in the past 12 months. So it doesn't necessarily mean that um, people don't necessarily want that. It's just sort of relative preference, right? And, and what's driving that turnover more than anything. So uh, I think, you know, and in a lot of cases, I think when people talk about why they left a job mm -hmm. in the past 12 months, it's still a pretty new period of time. Yep. So unless it's something that is incredibly measurable, like compensation, it's a little it's a little bit fungible and a little um, a little subjective. So when you talk about compensation, you can say I left because I got offered another role that is going to pay me 30 percent more than I'm currently making. Right. That is that is a much easier thing to talk about than the company had poor culture. Right. And, and how people talk about that and how they interpret it, I think it makes it kind of difficult to stack rank. But flexibility, I think, is and, and work from home. So one of the other I think the second largest reason was the need for change in terms of turnover hmm. past compensation. Um, and if you look at a need for change, well, is it because you don't have the flexibility to work remotely? Right. Like. Right. There's a little bit of um, of subjectivity here. And I think what it really comes down to is there's just I mean, if you look at the percentages, if compensation is 40 is accounted for close to 40 percent and then you're looking at the other reasons there. I mean, the span is 18 to 26 percent. That's not a huge range, Yep. Um, you know, with the bottom three being within four points of each other. So it's. You know, I think it's a little all over the place. So a little bit of a sidebar, um, and you, you get access to a lot of job posting data and job descriptions. Um, I know LinkedIn recently said, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the basic gist was if you have remote work or the, the opportunity to work remotely in your job posting, your number of responses goes up significantly versus if you don't have remote work as an option in your job description. Uh, as a side note, are you are you seeing anything in terms of jobs that are on your database? Uh, is there an increase in remote jobs? Are more people posting that as an option or, or not seeing anything thus far? So there are ab absolutely there's an increase in remote jobs. That being said, we you know, we do need to think of the data that LinkedIn provided versus the data that we're looking at here in the context of the entire labor force. So yep. the I think pre pandemic or at the height of the pandemic, the amount of people that were working remotely was only it only ever peaked at like 35 ish percent. I'd have to go back and validate that data, but um, which is way lower than I would have expected. I, if you'd asked me at the time, I would have been like, oh, no, <laughs> like 80 percent of people. But but that's not true. Right. Like a lot of jobs just can't be done 
remotely. Yep. Um, and LinkedIn is a professional platform, right? True. You don't have yep. many front, you, you know, sort of, and not necessarily frontline, but you don't have a lot of industries on, you know, that are, there are certain types of industries that aren't even really on LinkedIn from a worker perspective. For sure. Um, I mean, think about the Amazon warehouses, right? We don't, I don't think those workers that are working in the warehouse. Can't do that remotely yet. No. Have time to be <laughs> logging on to LinkedIn in the middle of their shifts and, you know. Of course, of course when Bezos has his way and it's all robots, uh, I guess it won't matter at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the last point I want to sort of talk about in terms of the survey, um, which is another a big theme that we've talked about on the show uh, for well over a year, is automation. Uh, specifically in the in the conversational category or process. So we talk a lot about chatbots, if you call them chatbots or conversational AI. You guys have some really interesting numbers around automation and technology in the recruiting process. Um, you mentioned ghosting, which I think is impacted a lot by the automated hiring process. So talk about what you guys found in uh, the automation category. Yeah, you know, I actually would have expected in general to see um, a lot more, you know, what we one of the things that we saw, and I think that this is specifically related to automation, is a lot of frustration in the candidate experience. And so I'm shocked. Right now, right? <laughs> Who would have thought? Um, and it's so, for example, right, there are things that we know people are going to find that have improved the experience like, oh, you can schedule interviews a little bit easier than you could a few years ago, or, you know, there's uh, a higher, a quicker hiring path, right? Or there's uh, cover letters are kind of becoming a thing of the past at this point for some, for, for many, many jobs, right? Good. Um, and, and those are things that are, I think, candidates like, and they're excited about it. On the flip side, uh, I think there's a lot of frustration, not just from sort of the inter, you know, the sort of application process itself, but like the entire engagement. So ghosting or not following up, having a significant mm -hmm. impact, um, people sort of focusing on or not knowing the best channel to engage. So I think there's a little bit of channel conflict that happens in the process, right? So they're, they're not entirely, you know, is it if they apply here, but then they need to provide their social credential or no, their social media profiles and if they're texting. So I think that there's a little bit, we haven't as an industry quite figured out the best way to manage the channels simultaneously yep. for an individual candidate experience and a, and a very personalized experience. And I think that that leaves our candidates feeling like they don't necessarily know what's going on. It feels like a lack of transparency. Yep. Um, and, you know, everyone wants to know where they stand. It's not It's not like they're sitting there saying like, oh, no, I'm totally okay with waiting two weeks to know if I got a job or not. They're not. And there's new technologies all the time that are coming out to aid with this. And while in our industry, because we're in HR tech, we're like, oh, this is great. And we think it's awesome because we like to be patting ourselves yep. on the back. But the reality is that's not always great from a candidate experience perspective. So, you know, if if you've got 22% of workers interacting with your, your chatbots in the recruiting process, but um, barely half or like barely over half, I think it's 63% thought it was a positive experience. 
I mean, you could say like, okay, so it's more than half. It is the majority technically, but like if my child came home with 63% on their test, uh-huh. I would be a very angry mother. And like, I don't think it's a great grade. I if their previous grade was 22%, you might, you might have a party <laughs> though, right? So it's, to me, it's sort of relative that, yeah, 63% is not a huge number. But if, if the prior number was in the 20s, you're making a significant amount of progress. You don't necessarily see it that way. You see it as 63%. Well, it's 22% interacted with it. With it. Yep. So just period. And then, up, so then taking those 22%, what percent thought it was positive? And it's, it's 63%. That, that's a D. Let's be clear. It's a D minus. <laughs> But we're in an F minus industry, so we're making progress, people. I was, I was going to say that was going to be a big win uh, in terms of the survey, but that's an interesting perspective that that you have. I also think, and you'll obviously disagree with this. I think text messaging more or less was a win in terms of your survey, with fifty six percent preferring a text message uh, for interviewing and scheduling interviews versus email. Um, or a phone call. So do you do you consider text messaging uh, a big F as well at 56%? So I don't because I think it's an efficient, I think it's an efficiency mm-hmm. thing, right? Like text messaging uh, there, I think there's more familiarity with how people use and communicate via text, yeah. right? We, we all sort of have an understanding of, of what things mean and when it's appropriate to respond versus not. Chatbots are a little, I think we're still figuring out how to use them in the right way. So for example, like if you go online as a candidate to to look at a company and, and you go to their recruiting page or their careers page and you see that they have a chatbot mm-hmm. and you're interested, but it's 2 a.m., right? Yep. Are you going to be angry because that chatbot's not giving you a very personalized experience? Possibly. <laughs> yeah, you might be. But like... If you, if I text you about a job at 2 a.m., do I expect you to reply? Probably not. Nope. There, there's, you know, there's different expectations with texting, I think, from a candidate perspective than there is with chatbots, in part because texting is texting, right? Chatbots, there's a wide range of technology and what goes into how we make those work. So... Mm. What that ends up looking like on the candidate experience side, I think, is a wide variation, and it and it really ranges. So An interesting sort of curveball in that is that a lot of chatbots are meant to look like SMS. So, in terms of a user's perspective, yes. are they talking? Are they chatting with a robot, but thinking that it's a human uh, on the other end of that texting them? And I think that is something that will have to be worked out uh, in terms of these numbers and what people think because. Because your numbers were uh, 22% said they have interacted with a chat bot and 42% have received a text message from a recruiter. Um, that 22% may be higher because they may not even know they're talking to a chat bot. They may think it's just SMS with a recruiter. But I think this is going to be one of the more interesting um, stories when you do your survey in the coming uh, quarters or, or years is is. SMS versus chatbot, and, and does that line blur? Um, I do still think that those are, are two relative winners in your survey, uh, chatbots as well as SMS. One loser that I would highlight uh, from your from your data is job boards. Uh, yeah, it's not coming out of my mouth. It's coming out of yours. <laughs> job board usage is 16% lower 
uh, since 2020. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Was that a surprise to you? Uh, what's causing that? Um, why are job boards down? Uh, not at all a surprise. Why are they down? I, th- I think this goes back to channels, right? There's so many channels. And, and again, so in the same way that we're like, you know, what I said before about sort of how we manage channels in the, with the candidate experience is really important. And, and SMS versus, you know, and chatbots and, and where how that blurs mm-hmm. in some areas, but not always like that's a perfect example. We really need to figure that out. Right. I think in a similar fashion, job boards and the proliferation of channels around uh, or sort of that produce a, I don't know, like a candidate experience beyond just like where you can find a you know, in terms of how you can find a job sure. is changing. And there's so many more channels all the time. Right. So like if you look at Instagram, for example, if you asked me four years ago, do I think Instagram is going to be a great place to find candidates? I would have said no. <laughs> would- However, turns out that's actually a really great driver of not just candidates, but engagement and and conversion with candidates. So they're they're new all the time. <laughs> so it's it's Snapchat, TikTok, and Instagram, obviously, that's that's messing things up for the job boards. All right. I'm gonna close, let you close on this. Give me one prediction for next year's report that you you expect to see that might surprise people. Uh, I would say the, I don't know if this will surprise people, but I do believe that there will be, um, continued adoption of AI technologies. I think we'll see a reduction in the use of candidate facing AI. Is that for legal, legal reasons or UX reasons or effectiveness reasons or all the above? all of the above, but ultimately, you know, I think that my, and this is my personal opinion, I think companies are better positioned for long-term success when they value the candidate experience and and security and privacy of the candidate. Excellent. And to me, that means owning that beyond just saying, you know, oh, this is just our technology, how our how our customers use it is up to them, right? So I think that candidates have greater expectations of that at this point. And I think that hopefully we'll see vendors start to use it more intelligently and thoughtfully. I think it will be successful. I think we're still in the very early early stages of, of figuring that out and really making that technology at, at its best. Allie Kelly, everybody. CMO at Employ. Inc. Allie, thanks for your time. All right. If someone out there wants to see the survey, they want to dig into this thing, where should they go to learn more? Yes. Uh, I would say jobbyte.com, jazzhr.com, uh, employeeinc.com, or nextthingrpo.com. It's on the homepage of every single one of those sites. So Listen to you. You sound like you're in marketing. <laughs> Allie, thanks again. And uh, everyone else, we out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? podcast the chat the cheese brilliant they talk about recruiting they talk about technology but most of all they talk about nothing just a lot of shout outs of people you don't even know and yet you're listening it's incredible and not one word about cheese not one cheddar blue 
nacho, pepper jack, Swiss. So many cheeses and not one word. So weird. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.